0: Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com And you might just hear an answer on our next series.
1: A dream is a version of your life or version of yourself that doesn't have any weaknesses, any vulnerabilities. I think the dream dies in order to get out of the way to get to the deeper desire, because the path of desire is one that you will have to walk with your vulnerabilities. And vulnerabilities aren't necessarily your weaknesses or limitations, it's your relationship to them. How do you feel about having them? Or is it something you're ashamed of? Is it something that you think you're dismissed from participation? And I actually think the deep spiritual journey is to realize your vulnerabilities are the witch and way you, you learn to connect to yourself, to others, and even to God. So something is dying to offer you something surprising, which you haven't imagined. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
0: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of the Living Center Podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to today's guest. I've been following Scott Erickson, or Scott the Painter, on Instagram for a really long time, so I was so excited to get to sit down with him. Scott is a touring painter, a performance artist, and a creative curate who mixes autobiography, aesthetics, and comedic narrative to create experiences that speak to our deepest stories. That's what his bio says. And really, that's just a fancy way of saying he creates beautiful things to express our shared humanity. The last two years for so many of us have been marked with disappointment, uncertainty, and pain. And frankly, our reality is not what any of us expected. And with that comes a lot of mixed emotions, failed hopes, dreams, and aspirations. I know for me that disappointment after disappointment, after pivot, after change of the last two years has left me feeling kind of apathetic and a little bit scared. And maybe even I've killed off parts of myself or killed off some of the hope that I used to have for some of the dreams um, that are still living inside of me. Today, Scott and I are talking about his new book, Say Yes, Discovering the Surprising Life Behind the Death of a Dream. How many of us have had the death of a dream this past year? And we're going to talk about how to overcome the conversations we all have with ourselves that convince us to give up. To give up on our dreams, to give up on the life we're called to, or even to give up and find a way out of our current existence. Throughout this conversation, we talk candidly about the topic of suicide. If you or a loved one are struggling with suicide, I hope that this conversation is encouraging and equipping, but I also recognize that it might be activating for some. Suicide is a silent conversation, and I hope what Scott shares brings the topic into the light, provides hope, and that his words are a gift of solidarity. If you need help today, we encourage you to reach out. You can call the Suicide National Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 or reach out to our friends at to write Love in her Arms at twloha.com. So, Scott, I'm so excited for you to be joining us today. And I'm so excited about your new book. And will you just kind of introduce yourself to our audience? Who are you? And where was the impetus for, for writing Say Yes?
1: Yeah, well, I make my living as a, a professional creative which that means uh, I do lots of little things to make a little something. So I uh, am an illustrator and a a painter, and I've been doing that for over a decade. Uh, I'm a performing artist and uh, do these kind of like weird one man shows. And then also now I'm an author. And this is like my fourth book that I've worked on and hope to keep doing that till I die. So, um, it is, this book came, it, it, uh, it came out of a show that I do, which (laughs) came out of like a talk I started doing, which came out of, uh, some practices I was just doing in my life to deal with my own mental health, uh, hurdles that I needed to, to work through. So, um, I had this kind of moment, which is not too unique, but like towards like turning 40, I just had like a realization of kind of, like who I want to be in the world. And it took me yeah. four years to kind of figure that out. And uh, and I just felt really, not that so far, but I was just like, oh, I guess I got to start doing that. And that sounds really embarrassing and humbling and confronted a lot of inner arguments. And I knew I needed to start developing some practices, counter arguments, pivots. I call them mental health and spiritual practices because I don't think those two are very different. Um, I think they're kind of I intertwined in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. yeah and so and i found that they worked for me and i still do them today um when you make things for a living when you stumble across something you're like i gotta monetize this and i was like don't be a jerk like just wait make sure it actually (laughs) make sure it actually works for you and so i i kind of sat on it for like a year Mm -hmm. and made sure like it actually produced a kind of fruit in my life and then you know when we get into creative work we're gonna get mystical i just i sense the muse tell me like it's time to start talking about this stuff and i um and i wanted to talk about like the layers of giving up so not just like well i think on the, there's i i pitched that there's a spectrum of giving up which is you can binge watch something every single night to not deal with the the conversation you know you need to have or you can open a yeah. bottle or tap your phone endlessly to numb yourself out from the pain you have or you can go all the way and go i just don't want to be here anymore and so the the spectrum of giving up is like suicide but also just like you can kill yourself while still being alive you can just like kind of shut down parts of yourself and so I wanted as I entered into that conversation I was like oh I need to talk about all of those things but how do you do it in a way that isn't so heavy and lispy and just so serious because I feel like comedy and art are really good ways to talk about heavy things and so I started kind of putting this stuff together and then um For me, when I really like pushed me into trying to make something is when uh, I found out Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Um, And I had I was working with this material in Boise, Idaho. I presented it at an arts conference and Mm -hmm. I just remember being walking in this parking lot and like I don't you know, I'm not trying to be a celebrity chef, but Anthony Bourdain represented to a lot of us what we hope to have happen with our work, which is we get to unabashedly be ourselves and that leads to some kind of success and opportunity. And, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, I didn't know him and, or any of that, but, but it seemed what his decision to take his own life meant is like, well, what (laughs) if it didn't, if he didn't even want to be in his life, like why do you think all of that stuff would do something for you? And, Mm. and I knew it was something deeper. It wasn't about accomplishment or, getting these goals or making all your dreams come true. There has to be something, a deeper conversation about being here and saying yes to your life and saying yes Mm -hmm. to existence and saying yes to the possibility that you're not alone in it all. And, and that really put a fire under me to go, I have, I have to offer something. So I wanted to, the show, The performance, a bit of it was like a, and I talked about this at the beginning of the book, was like Mm -hmm. I wanted to make a church service about suicide because I'd never been to one.
0: No, and it's not something we talk about in that sphere at all. Yes, Um, yeah. Something that's very like hush-hush and we keep it, you know, separate and all of that, but.
1: Yeah, like I I want to be the, I want to offer, (sighs) the way that I would describe it is like some of the work that I want to do is I want to make weird liturgies, meaning I Mm -hmm. want to make sacred ceremonies or experiences that are about the complexity of the human experience. And I'm not saying religion doesn't do that, but there are, I think, especially in the conversation about suicide, I think, I think religion is very confronted by like suicide kind of demolishes a lot of what religion, at least Western religion works on, which is a product based pitch, which is Mm. if you get this thing, if you get God, it it will solve all your problems yeah and that's like that's not true <laughs> um, <laughs> not so I'm not much, saying no. I'm not saying that there isn't like a divine component to that conversation. there totally yeah. is, but it's not it's not a product to it's not it's not weed killer to s- kill your weeds. It's not toothpaste to whiten your teeth. you know Jesus is not just because I've had Jesus in my heart doesn't mean I haven't wanted my heart to stop. It's a different it's a deeper conversation about existence. You know, I think I think a big question is kind of like <laughs> we all understand that life is a miracle, but why does the miracle suck sometimes? And like it's,
0: And we don't <laughs> say that like it sucks. Yeah. Sometimes it, it sucks. really is hard. And I think the yeah. last couple of years have really brought that into light for a lot mm-hmm. of people and I think across I mean the statistics that we're seeing, um the anecdotes like life is really hard and we're in a mental health crisis right now. And I think so Mm -hmm. often we think they're mutually exclusive. And so I love that you said spiritual practices go hand in hand with mental health practices, because I think it's so important for us to, to not keep them on opposite ends of the spectrum.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. And I'm not a clinician. I'm an artist. So I, I think I say in the book, I'm like, I'm not a therapist. I go to therapy, but what, uh, I hope to do was tra- be a translator of all the things that I learned that worked for me and then and then as a as an illustrator, as an image maker I hadn't seen anything that really offered kind of a image vocabulary, a visual vocabulary for this stuff and so for me I wanted to make sure that I could offer some kind of like images for these things because I know that like oftentimes practices where you're like oh just say this word or say this sentence and that And I have those phrases, those are in the book, but like, I also wanted to offer an image to that as well. Cause some, cause for me, like the way that I really internalize stuff is through an image. So that is my unique contribution in this conversation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think you're meeting an entire sect of people who learn differently who engage with the world differently can we talk about what performative art is because I think when we when I was reading your book it made me think of a lot of what we do at onsite is experiential therapy and there's something about getting in your body and connecting with those themes and connecting with your story so what is performative art and how did this how is it kind of a cathartic process for you even doing that building that and it into the world
1: I already know the answer to this, but I'm like, my question has always been like, can can an experience like transform your life? Can you go to a thing and two hours later, come out and go, I'm really changed. And what are the elements of that? And uh, I want to be the curator of that. So instead of just like presenting, here's my slides about the stuff you should know to make you not kill yourself. Like that I was like we need to go on like a journey together. We need to like and so yeah. then um I I was really influenced by there's like a couple comedians who do like long form storytelling that really influenced me. I went to this radio lab, which is this podcast out of New Mm -hmm. York, uh, and they had these live shows. And I went to one of them and it had like art and music and storytelling. And I was like, this is everything I want to do. And then um, I saw this play online. It's called Every Brilliant Thing. It's a play, but it involves the audience and the uh, the the actor who kind of does the whole play. Before the audience, before it starts, is like asking people from the audience, like, when this thing is said, I need you to say this. And when this number is called, say this answer. And it was awesome. And I was like, ah, yeah, I want, like, I'm least interested in me you know, going to the airport, standing in the Southwest Airlines line, sitting down, getting out, going to the car rental line forever, getting a car, going to a venue, setting it all up just so I can hear myself recite some lines. You know, that's not that interesting to me. But if I, I will do all that if I know that I can host something that that I don't know fully what's going to happen, so I involve the audience to help make. I call it a liturgy of not giving up on ourselves. It's like, so hey, you're going to help me make this thing. I will be, you know, I will be the curator. I'll be the facilitator. I'll like make sure this thing doesn't become a big turd. But like, I'm Seep gonna off give, the rails, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna give. Uh, I'm gonna give control over to people in the audience to see if they show up, mm. and they do always. So uh yeah. that's. And, and by doing that, it's, it's less like a movie where you're just like, there taking in. Consuming. Like, yeah. Like right at the beginning, people start being involved and I always can feel the audience change where they're like, oh, this is something like, because all of a sudden somebody next to them is talking and then somebody over here and they're like oh, this is like a a thing we're doing together. And then there's a universal rule in creativity, which is what's most personal is what's universal. So I definitely like, I'm I'm taking the lead of, uh, I'm going to say some vulnerable stuff. I'm going to be vulnerable, but that allows, like hopefully by the end of the show, I've moved out of the way and you've gotten in touch with the deep conversation that's in you. That's, that's mm. our, I think one of the functions of art is art is a great excavation tool. It yes. helps you get into the thing, the conversation that you're already having that maybe you weren't in touch with because of noise, busyness, ego, fear, these kinds of things. And so image and storytelling and comedy and weird stuff kind of yeah. open us up to that. And then they, and they really just provide solidarity. I think, I think the, mm-hmm. You know, I'd be interested in what you think about this, but like, for me, my experience is like the starting place to having a conversation with somebody about who wants to give up on themselves Mm -hmm. is it's solidarity. It's not, it is going, tell me about your pain. It's the Mary Oliver poem, wild geese. It's like, tell me about your pain and I'll tell you about mine. It is like, that's the place we start. It isn't like, why do you want to do it? It's like, why? It's like, tell me about your heartbreak. Tell me why you're so sad. Tell me about why you're depressed, and then being like, and I I felt that way too, and they feel that way, and then you and then you realize you're like, oh, this, I'm not alone in this. Are the other people mm-hmm. have felt this way, and then you can find out, oh, there's a way to like move past this. This doesn't last forever. It's that. So,
0: I think it's the creating of space and solidarity. Mm-hmm. There's something about like you were saying, turning off the noise and creating a space for me to show up and not be alone in having the hard conversation that's already going on inside of me or the wrestling that's going on. I don't have to be, al- I think it's space solidarity and and community. I don't have to be alone yeah. in it. And I can actually, um, have you seen the movie Encanto? It's very in our house right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> but there is a scene where Mirabelle she's like confronted with this hard thing that is she's already done. And it had a failed result. Like she went to the door and the door didn't open and it wasn't magical. And Antonio, her cousin is like, I can't do this alone. Like you have to come and hold my hand with me. Yeah, yeah, And so, yeah, yeah, she goes and like holds his hand and walks him to the door and walking a journey. She's already walked a really hard, sad journey. Yeah. Yeah. But there's something about doing that. And it, and it gives you the gumption To even engage with the conversation. And so, yeah, that's what I was really thinking. And I Hmm. also think it's so much more approachable when you can go like the way that you outline we've all killed off parts of ourselves. You don't have to take your own life to lose the parts of yourself and deny that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what I was thinking when you were saying that.
1: I mean, I lost a friend to suicide last year Mm -hmm. and she, you know, she, what, Another friend, a a mutual friend and I were talking about is like she was having a secret conversation like suicide is a secret conversation. How do you bring out the secret conversation? How do we make a space, a place, a book, a show, a conversation to help get in touch with that secret conversation? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And before we hopped on, you said my hope is that it just starts getting passed on organically happens. This book it gets into the right hands or someone says, I think you can really benefit from this. And yeah, I think there's so much beauty in that because it, you're giving people a tool also to mm-hmm. reach out um, yeah. and to come alongside the people in their lives who might be having that secret conversation. And so I think it's really beautiful.
1: Like book launching is so weird. It, like, in it's, oh, it's
0: so weird.
1: Not that it is all on me, but it's kind of like all on me. Like, you know, yeah. a, I have to keep coming back to like, I did it. I made what I could. I hope Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I was talking with a friend who's very spiritual and she's just like the energy you put in this, the people who need that energy will find it. And I was like, that's, I hope so. I hope so.
0: Yeah. What I was struck with, you were saying, like you show up to all your performative pieces and you're like, Hey, I'm going to start by being vulnerable. And I always say, uh, you're giving people the gift of going second. Like I'm going to go first and then you can see that. But I Mm -hmm. also, when reading your book, the vulnerability and the softness came off the page as much as how funny it was. Like I laughed out loud a couple of times. There were elements Mm -hmm. because you have to make it funny. Like this is a hard topic and sometimes you have to laugh to keep from crying. But I particularly love that you continued to return to this, what you call like the crying toilet moment.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: And I love how you just were just, you just kind of leaned back into it several times. And so the vulnerability came off of the page. But I think a lot of times in our culture, In different spheres men are not given the permission to describe that so have you always been kind of in touch with your emotions is that a journey that you've been on what does that look like because I think often men are not often given the permission to even express that and you express that very clearly in this book
1: yeah which is so unfortunate maybe I just have a good group of like pretty emotional friends uh like uh I'm not in a Chevy Silverado commercial very often. Um, So (laughs) like, yeah, I have very heartfelt conversations with other men. But when I talk to other like spiritual directors or counselors and stuff, they're like, yeah, the desperate lives of sad men who Mm -hmm. don't feel like they have a chance to talk about it. So I have always been pretty emotional. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a bit artsy fartsy. But like why I keep coming back to that moment is I wasn't in charge of it. So like I like I think I just started like I put my kids to bed and I I like walked out in the living room and I just was like crying. And it wasn't because like bedtime was magical. I just was something was like happening to me. And I think that's like maybe hopefully that's relatable is like something in your life will happen to you and you'll lose your faculties of control. And, uh, you know, depression is a symptom that your your body's going something isn't working anymore you're not this isn't you're not this isn't working and we're trying to get your attention you know Mm -hmm. and this kind of like moment of weeping was like a bit of like a hidden a hiddenness for so long that then it finally busted out and so i think the vulnerability there is just to be like something may happen to you and then it's trying to get your attention for a reason, there's something you need to pay attention to. The truth is, is you're just going to live all that pain out in other ways. And, and mostly that's unhelpful, you know, <laughs> mostly it's like medicating, uh, th- or yep. through medicating through materialism, anger, alcohol, dr- you know, uh, whatever it is, like whatever, whatever your chosen thing is. So yeah, we yeah. define
0: onsite, we define medicating by anything that Uh, You use externally to turn off the internal noise. And that could be anger. It could be binging TV like you were talking about. Um, And there's a lot of different stages of the medicating. But, yeah, I agree with you on that. What was your body trying to tell you? And how did you finally decide, I'm going to listen? Because I think in that moment, you could have also continued to numb. You could have said, okay, I'm going to ratchet up whatever I've been using to keep this quiet, and I'm going to continue to numb.
1: That's a great question. I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. Good question. Um, Like, (laughs) I guess my body was like going like, hey, there is something you've wanted to do and you haven't. And it's not like like that. I mean, my particular is like, I was about to turn 40 and I started to understand. Like, I was like, oh, I think I'm much more of a performing artist. Like I've always Mm -hmm. been, aligned with like theater or performers. And I've never given myself a real capacity to do that. It hasn't been in my cards. And what happened to me was like my hero, my create, one of my creative heroes knew at 18 that he wanted to do that. And he'd spent the last 20 years doing that. And, and so then I found myself almost 40 with the breadwinner of some kids or, or family of four. And I, Like, uh, I had been laid off from my job and I was kind of just like, what am I doing? And I was getting in touch with like, you know what you really want to do. You've always wanted to do this. And I, and then the invitation was like, well, you got to start now. I guess I got to start now. And I, that's not my favorite starting point. It's incredibly harder to start now than it was when I was like single and all the time in the world. But I was like, I guess this is the place I need to start. And, And that's what I you know, our lives are really hard to understand, but in retrospect, we can get a bit of perspective. And I think like one of the things I've learned from that moment to now, so over the last five or six years is like, the real question is, is like, I can't go back, like not, oh, if only I could go back in time, it's like Napoleon Dynamite. If only coach would have put me in a 1982, I could have thrown that ball. (laughs) Everything would have been different. It's, It's more of like, well, what's holding you back from that now? And because what I want to do is trust that the universe is kind of like, maybe now is the right time. But you're like, but I don't like who I am now. I I have all these like Mm. vulnerabilities and weaknesses and limitations. And it's like, yeah, and those are what's going to uniquely contribute to how you're going to do it now. And that is kind of what a lot of the book is. Like the it's the the tagline is like, what's the surprising life beyond the death of a dream? It's like the death of a dream. A dream is a version of your life, or version of yourself that doesn't have any weaknesses, any vulnerabilities. But like when you've imagined a dream scenario, a dream vacation, when you imagine a dream vacation, you don't imagine like all the stuff that goes wrong on a vacation. Right. Adventurous stories are complicated stories. Adventurous yeah. lives are complicated lives. You're, like a dream dies because there's a deeper desire in you which there's okay. lots of writings about this Saint Ignatius is who I draw from, which Saint Ignatius says actually the the kind of deep voice of the divine in your life about your calling, vocation, who to be in the world is through your desires And I think the dream dies in order to get at to get out of the way to get to the deeper desire because the path of walking, the path of desire is one that you will have to walk with your vulnerabilities. And vulnerabilities aren't necessarily your weaknesses or limitations, it's your relationship to them. How do you feel about having them? How do you feel? Or is it something you're ashamed of? Is it something that you think you're dismissed from participation? And I actually think the deep spiritual journey is to realize your vulnerabilities are the which and way you be you learn to connect to yourself, to others, and even to God. That's good. So you're being offered like something is dying to offer you something surprising, which you haven't imagined because you haven't spent time imagining what you would go into with vulnerabilities. So like you have you have a kid. I have kids um, Mm -hmm. to become like a touring performer now. It's immensely complicated and it's, yeah. I'm in a certain season. I still have a toddler. So when people are like, how's your tour going? I'm like, tour is a fancy word for like, there's some shows by each other, you know, on the calendar. I was like, for this season of my life, I've kind of, my wife's really successful and doing a bunch of stuff. So I've like, Hey, I'm going to go maybe like twice a month on like a Tuesday or Thursday, <laughs> not a weekend. Cause I'll be home. I'll be home for the kids. But I'll be like, just, I need to do my stuff, but I will like leave in the morning, do a thing, come back, be gone for like 24 hours. And I'll just do it on like a weekday and I'll maybe no more than like two, maybe, maybe three, but more, no more than two a month. And that's just my particular vulnerabilities at this stage in my life. It doesn't mean it'll be forever. It doesn't mean like, it's just where I'm at now because like being successful as a performer, isn't my greatest love. It's something I deeply desire. It's like something I want to grow into, but I also like, yeah, I love being a dad and I like being home and it's, you know, like I just, and this is at the end of the book, uh, getting into yeah. like the regrets of the dying, but I know that bra so Bronny, where this hospice care worker, over 10 years ago, wrote this blog post called The the Five Regrets of the Dying. And she said, as a hospice care worker, she's like, human beings have the same regrets. There's not like an infinite amount of regrets. It's like kind Mm. of the same things.
0: Same five things over and over.
1: Yeah. And I think what's there is like this real end of life wisdom that I want to apply to my life now. But the number two most common regret is I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And I think about that one a lot because as a man, I find a lot of my identity in my work. And men can spend a lot of time trying to build that identity and they'll spend years, decades building that identity. And then they'll look back and go, oh, I missed my kids. I missed those relationships. I spent all this time. It wasn't all about working. I wish I had like not worked so hard. So I'm trying to, this is why I have like a consistent death practice, Is I'm trying to take the end of life wisdom and go, well, how could I mold my life now? Because I think I think our our regrets, our future regrets can be incredibly helpful to go to help prioritize what's important.
0: Hey, friends, it's Mackenzie and Hannah. Hi. We just wanted to stop in and talk to you a little bit about the Living Center Program.
1: Yes. If you have listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you've definitely heard us talk on and on about it. It is our flagship workshop in-person experience that Mackenzie and I have both also done, Mm -hmm. and uh, we just can't speak highly enough about it.
0: No. Life-changing experience. I think for me, it was one of the best things that I've ever done for myself.
1: Yeah. uh, We always say that it just gives you an opportunity to reset and Mm -hmm. make sure that you are being the person that you want to be.
0: Yeah, and I think so much we just get caught in the hustle and bustle of life and then all of a sudden you look back and think, what am I chasing? Why am I chasing it? And it's just an opportunity for you to reset, uh, to take some time away and really look at the person that you are and the person you want to be. So we are now offering it several times a month on both of our campuses.
1: Yes, and that's huge. I'm so excited that we're now able to offer it on both in California and in Tennessee and that we're just being able to offer it for more people.
0: And if you've ever wanted to learn more about it, we just invite you to connect with one of our admissions team members. They'll give you details and help you know if this is the right in-person experience for you or maybe it's something else. So give us a call at 800-341-7432 or you can email them at admissions at onsiteworkshops.com. Now let's jump back into the interview. One of the things that I first, when you were talking about vulnerabilities and you were just sharing like, hey, this is the logistics of my life and I would not have written it out or imagined it this way. And they feel more like liabilities than they do strengths. I was sitting over here thinking, oh my gosh, what he's saying feel like the superpower of it. They actually feel like you're attached to other people your, your decisions impact other people. You're bringing a level of understanding in a different way and you're giving people permission to show up as their whole selves. And so I Mm -hmm. thought like, oh, actually these vulnerabilities that he's bringing in, if he had done them at 19 or 18, like his creative hero did, like you're not carrying that wisdom in the same way. And so how do we look at our vulnerabilities not as a liability, but as a strength? Yeah. That was the first thing. And so I just wanted to frame you that like, It is the right time. It's the right time because you now have them from a strength. And so I am someone who constantly feels the tension of feeling behind and that there's no reason for that. My (laughs) boss is always telling me, I mean, she's a friend also, and she's like, to what standard? Like who? Who's Whose voice is in your head? So that felt like a lot of permission to me. And as someone who has a young kid in this season, it was really encouraging to hear you say, This is what's important to me, but it's a Mm -hmm. both-and. We talk a Mm -hmm. lot about both-and in my house. We talked about it long before we had a kid, long before we had successful careers and we were, you know, underemployed and making ends meet. We wanted to be a house. It's one of our rules is to have a both-and house. Mm. And... It's a lot easier in talk than it is practice. It's a lot easier in that dream state because yeah. you're not got the daily rhythms of I'm balancing this. I've got this going on and this going on. And there's two callings and yeah. we're trying to make that work. It yeah. looks a lot prettier on the, in the dream state. And so totally. I think in this season of my life, I've been negotiating that.
1: Yeah. Well, and the social media state. I mean, what, like, and I... <sighs> I'm I'm totally with you. I always feel like so behind. But like it's a comparative narrative I'm stuck in and I'm basing always. it off a curated reality that I see other people. And what I kind of do and this is not I'm not trying to judge these people, but I'm like when you see somebody like Beyoncé, like Beyonce, look, I love Beyoncé. But like you're not seeing the you're not seeing the certain pain points of Beyoncé's life. Which is, Beyonce, I spend so much time every day with children and washing dishes and cleaning up and stuff. Beyonce doesn't. So, her children are being raised by nannies. Like, and her. I'm not saying, like, I'm not shitting on Beyonce. Like, you're not seeing the behind the scenes stuff. That if you were put in that situation, you'd be like, I don't want to miss out on my kids. I don't. Everyone has to
0: sacrifice.
1: Yes. There's a guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's out of New York. And he's like, do you know Gary V?
0: Oh, I am familiar with Gary V. I've worked in the social media space a long time. Yeah. Go on.
1: Like, I'm just like, there's, there's something we're not seeing with Gary V. Yes. Like, I'm just like, there's no way that everything you present is like, you killing it. You made successful, you know? But I'm like, you're only presenting one side. You're only presenting a sliver of what your life is. And... Gosh, and like, but what we're all familiar with is the entirety of our life, our limitations, our feelings and stuff. And so we're judging Mm -hmm. ourselves based on a sliver of somebody else's reality. And you're not just seeing it. So we have to give grace for our pace. Mm -hmm. And and also, like, you know, my three practices. Well, one of them, the first one is like, I'm on my way, which is Mm -hmm. because the main argument is like, I'm nothing's going to change, which we could also say I'm so far behind. But I just go, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And this, it gives grace. It What I, I love on, I'm on my way because it allows a longer timeline for success.
0: What did, what's the cup you made, say?
1: Oh, I made a mug that says future famous dead artist. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> I am in a tradition <laughs> that typically when you're successful is after, after you've died. And it's a yeah. joke. It just means like, uh, there's a great Victor Frankl quote where he and I, it's too long for me to memorize it. Although- mm-hmm but he's just like don't aim for success he's like I always tell my students don't aim for success because there's no way to accomplish success what you need to aim for mm. is like deep and meaningful work and offering something to the world and success will naturally follow so like like success is just like a, a, a mist in the air you don't know and if you're just trying to like keep up with the trends of TikTok or Instagram and stuff like you might find some success but like what's success? Eyes on you and then it'll go away I think that always the invitation is to like a deep and meaningful existence and work and, and contribution. And that is, that might take time and you're not in charge of how it yeah. lands. What you do get to decide is enjoying the journey, enjoying the yeah. process. Like bliss is a process. And so what I, I'm always like in my work, I'm always just like, what is bringing me most alive? Because that is the best thing I can offer others and myself is just like, what's trying to invite me to be transformed. And then I go through that mm. process and then I, and then I bring it to the public and be like, this is for you too. Anyways, we're kind of off what yeah. we were talking about, but th- yeah. We I were think- off
0: topic. You were telling me the three practices. So one three is practices. I'm on my way, which I think is, it's a beautiful reframe that gives me a breath of fresh air to say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not there yet but I'm on my way. Um, I'm in process. I've been reading Shana Niqua's new book. Um, I just haven't learned that yet. And that phrase, so I'm adding, I'm on my way and I just haven't learned that yet to two phrases when I get in the spinny of yeah. I'm not accomplished enough or it's, you know, it's okay to be yeah. a beginner. I, I told that to myself and my daughter for the first six months of her life. We're both beginners. You've never been a human yeah. and I've never been a mom. <laughs> We're learning together. <laughs>
1: That's great. We're both
0: beginners. So.
1: I haven't learned that yet. That's great. Because everything is a learned skill. That is the magic of life is like everything's a learned skill. You can get better at something. I'm on my way. I'm a contribution and this is really helpful Mm. when we live in a massive culture of comparison more than any other human beings ever. We live in a massive culture of comparison and it's, and it's, we have this data on it and it's literally killing us. So uh, Mm. we have to have a practice to constantly battle this comparison narrative, which is I can be a contribution. I'm a contribution. And then I flesh out there's kind of like three areas of contribution that I think we can focus on. And one is gratitude. So I always, even with this book, even though like, I had hopes and dreams about certain publishing numbers, and they didn't come yeah. true. But I, I, I constantly come back to like. But I'm so grateful to have the, the chance to do it. Yeah. And I grew as a person. I transformed as a person. So
0: well, and you had that dream stay outside of the context of Omicron and a lot of yeah. other things that are outside of your control. Like I think it is so interesting to so true carry your book. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then the last practice is I'm a resurrection, meaning. um, All of us as human beings will, let's talk about resurrection, like ultimate resurrection, whatever you think that is, life after death can only be achieved through dying. So our ultimate resurrection is only going to come through our ultimate death. And we're not in charge of either one of those. And so we'll just have to wait to see what happens. But we understand that through just even witnessing the seasons of this planet, like things die and things come back, things end and things begin again and so we are in that same process there are parts of us i mean even just like our bodies uh i think it's like every seven years totally cellularly change like we're not the same person seven years from now. seven
0: years later yeah yeah
1: but like you go through seasons you went to school it ended you had a job it ended you were single and then it ended you were not with kids and now it ended you know like it things end and start over and so saying like Yes. So this idea of death of a dream, something didn't, something died, something didn't turn out the way. It's like, yeah, but what, what is, what's on the other side of that? Because it, because on the other side of death is a new set of eyes. Mm. Like I thought a lot about in my own Christian tradition, what, what do we expect from resurrection? Because I think there's a lot of like, really unhelpful projection about like no more pain and no more feeling and no more emotion and just like that doesn't seem like a existence no but i think like what do we expect it to do to us if not change the way we see everything Mm -hmm. that's what i think resurrection is this is the project i've been working on about like resurrection it's just like jesus came back from the dead and nothing changed <laughs> in like the Romans were still in charge.
0: Yeah, People were
1: still afraid. But what changed in the people is they saw things differently. Yeah. Mary, Mary saw herself differently. The two walking to Emmaus were like, Oh, we totally misjudged what was happening. Mm. Peter, Peter was like, I still am denying who I think I am or who you say I am. And I have to come to terms with that. Like there's still, there was all this changeover. So I think like, we can yeah. apply that to ourselves too. We can go, I am one who went through death and now yeah. that died and I'm still on the other side. What does that free me to do? What is the new perspective I have? And that is the gift I think on the other side of death is mm. or the d- death of a dream is like, maybe it's courage. Maybe it's, maybe it's giving less of a shit. Maybe it's like, yeah. you know what? I learned from that. I'm going to do it differently this time. That was the key I needed to unlock this door. You know, yeah. there's something there.
0: I love one that I get to ask you this question because it's just a perk of my job. I was reading (laughs) your book and you talked about wonder and what you're like, we were talking about that new perspective. You talk about being a stranger or visitor to your life. And so I was like, how do I do that? How do I practically do that? And I was really wrestling with that because I'm someone who's constantly seeking wonder. So Mm -hmm. will you talk a little bit more about that idea of changing your perspective and viewing your life as, as a visitor or a stranger.
1: Yeah. So we are narrative-making machines, and we're making narratives all the time. Yeah. And when I noticed moments of wonder, I noticed it was moments when I didn't have a narrative about what's going on.
0: For mm. example,
1: this isn't in the book, but recently I was walking South Congress with a friend in Austin, and there was like a street magician and I have I have some good friends who are magicians, but I saw him ask a number of people, hey, do you wanna see a trick? Do you want to see a trick? People are like no no. So when he it came to me, he's like, Do you wanna see a trick? And I was like, absolutely.
0: Yes, I absolutely <laughs> and, do.
1: And I knew I was, he was asked, you know, gonna try to get some money. Yeah. And that's fine. But I we did some things. I was like, cool. And he's like, Do you want to do something that'll blow your mind? And I was like, absolutely. And he like, he's like, okay, he has a deck of cards, and he's like, I'm gonna put this deck of cards in your hand. So he put it in my hands, and I have my hands clasped tight. And then he's doing a bunch of stuff and then he's like, now, can I tell you that you actually don't have a deck of cards in your hand? And I was like, shut up. I was like, I've been holding. I saw you put it in there. I've been holding it the whole time. He's like, do you think? it?" And I was like, I don't think anything happened, but sure. And I opened my hands and I don't have a deck of cards in my hand. I have this like clear box that's the same size. And I just. Oh, my God. Immediately, immediately, joy shot through my body and i pulled out my phone (laughs) and i like gave him a big tip because i was like thank you for the gift of being like i felt so good the rest of the day and what my friends who are magicians say is like when you see a magic trick what is happening to you is all your understanding of what reality is is like falling apart and you're just Mm -hmm. like what what which is i think it's funny like because i grew up in the church is like people read these stories of miracles and I'm yeah. like, and they'd be like, you know, it's not like Jesus did a miracle and people are like, oh man, that's great, Just great That job. was pretty good. If you really saw a miracle, you wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, PTL, great. You might be like, what is happening? This is so like, <laughs> what you would be so, f- yeah, because how you understand how everything works is falling apart. I started noticing that like wonder is kind of those moments where you're like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm here present and I'm experiencing this beauty. And so It's just like, a
0: perspective because it's a perspective like if, thing. If I was like wonder is and this the other side of the coin is like like despair or like utter panic because yeah. when your understanding of reality is gone there are situations when how I understand reality is not how it is. And I, my response yeah. is panic or fear. So it's yeah. just the other side of that. That's so interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Just had that thought
1: <laughs> continue. No, I think it's great. So I, uh, when I started, I was like, well, it, my experiences were like in nature or at concerts, these like, but I was yeah. like, I got a job and I gotta be home and I gotta make sack lunches. So I was like, is there a way to hack into this? And I realized there was, it was confronting the narrative. So I just, Started doing this thing. Whenever I found myself bored, like my real cause of depression is like the main arguments like, nothing's gonna change. This every day's yeah. gonna be miserable. I'm never gonna get out of this situation. So I would just like go, Well, what don't I know about what's mm. happening right now? And I noticed this because like when I was really in a season of depression, I would listen in I was listening to so uh, I was it was actually Radio Lab, man, two messengers of Radio Lab. And that show is all about like. Kind of, how are things working? And by the end of the show, I was like, I feel so much better. Why? Mm. Because I learned something. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, life, I think I know what life is, but maybe there's so much I don't know about life. Maybe there's so much about I don't know what's happening right now. And Mm. that is what brought me out of depression. That's what brought me out of a narrative. So I was like, so you could say it's curiosity or engaged learning or something, but it's just simply confronting the assumptions that are building a narrative that says everything's like this and nothing's going to change. And so I just yeah. go, well, what don't I know about right now? You can do fun things about like who built, who built this microphone, who built this computer where did this stuff come from? It's engaging interest, engaging curiosity, but that it brings about wonder like it, even in the world we live in, I just, like, even in my yard, seeing some, like, you know, watching birds, watching insects, watching, there's, like, oh, there's all these other narratives happening all around me. I'm the one not seeing it. I was yeah. just talking to a guy at South by Southwest, but this guy was, you know, he was pretty down on where he was at, and mm-hmm. I was telling him about, like, kind of it, the, doing a bit of a death practice, which yeah. sounds really morbid, yeah. but, like, a death practice is helpful because... What it does is it, it confronts the narrative that you have all this time because yeah. what would happen if, like I would told him, I was like, look, if the grim reaper came up to you and nobody else could see it and just was like, mm-hmm. I want to let you know in 24 hours, I'm coming for you. You only have 24 hours left and it'll all be over. And then you were there and you're just like, I have, that's it. That's all I have. You would go to dinner and maybe it was just something like a cheeseburger or something. But mm-hmm. you would eat that cheeseburger and you'd be like, this is the best. God, cheeseburgers are so good. Oh, my gosh. You'd get in your car and you'd notice like the sun was setting and you notice how light was reflecting off the glass mm-hmm. and stuff. And you'd be like, God, light and color. Oh, it's so what a gift. And then you would like go home and you would be greeted by people you loved and they would hug you. And you'd be like, hugs, what a gift. What am I saying? When you know you're going to lose it all, you realize it's all a gift. Yeah. It's all a gift. That is the wisdom at the end of your life is your existence is a gift, not a curse. And so to practice the upcoming letting go of the gift is what gets your perspective reengaged mm-hmm. because our narratives become familiar with everything and they become blase and we're like, it's all shit. But when you are like, no, it's all going to go away. You go, Oh my gosh, I want to be here for it all. It's a gift. I think what's, you know, this is at the beginning of the book, but I think what's fascinating Mm -hmm. is that I heard the story of Kevin Hines who tried, who jumped off the golden gate bridge to try to take his own life and he miraculously lived and he found out that there were of 18 other living survivors, from having jumped off that bridge. Most people die, yeah. but some people had lived and he went around it. Cause he had this experience falling to the ocean and he went around and he asked all the other people and they all said they had the same experiences, which is the moment their hands left the rail as they jumped over the bridge, they instantly regretted what they were doing. Mm. They were like, I don't want to die. I just want yeah. the life. I think I'm stuck in to end. And I want to, I don't necessarily don't want to exist anymore. I just want a different existence and I think that's the larger thing of this book and stuff is just going, I think that's possible. I At the end of the book, I get into it where I'm like, actually, like, the plans of suicide and the plans of change are exactly the same. Yeah. Like, when you're planning to take your own life, you're making a plan. You're thinking about getting out of pain. You're thinking about other possibilities. Those are all interesting. Those are all mm-hmm. life-generating. It just doesn't mean you have to not be here anymore. Maybe this place of where we're just done with life, maybe that's yeah. the gift. You, maybe you want Maybe you, you should be done with the life that you think you have to live. The number one regret of the dying is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, but not the life I thought other people expected me to live. That's mm. the number one regret. The number one regret of human beings before they pass, according to Bronnie Ware, is...
0: Living authentically.
1: Yeah. I wish I lived an authentic life. The life I knew wanted to be lived, but I kept saying no to. I wish I would have said yes to it. I wish I would have yeah. said yes. Yeah.
0: Said yes. <laughs> so we say yes.
1: There we go. We say
0: yes to that that voice in the, the silent conversation. Yeah. Scott, I'm so grateful for this book. I'm so grateful for you leaning in to your own experience and being vulnerable and sharing with that. And I think you take a really heavy, hard topic- Um, That Mm -hmm. people maybe, like you're saying, are having these silent conversations alone and are just putting a face and some language to it. And Mm -hmm. even more than language, I think the way that you approach bringing visuals to it, you're meeting people in a way that they really need. And so I'm just so grateful for the work that you're bringing into the world and the contribution that you're contributing. Yeah. Uh, But what would you leave someone with? I think you've, you've left so much encouragement from people who might be in this dark, heavy place, but... What would be just a little bit of encouragement as we end this conversation for someone who may find themselves today with the death of a dream, whether it's or they're they're killing parts of themselves or maybe they are on the other spectrum, like you're saying, and want to just get out of the existence they're currently in and to find a new existence.
1: Yeah, there's a quote that and it's it's not exact, but uh, the famous mythologist Joseph Campbell, he said he's like. I think what human beings think they want to know is what is the meaning of life? And he's like, I don't actually think that's what they want to know. I think what they actually want is the rapturous experience of being alive. Mm -hmm. We don't want to know what the answer is to what's the meaning of life. We want to experience the joy of being alive. And I think the best thing that I've done in my life is to commit to I mean you got to be respons- being an adult is being responsible. Look, you got to do yeah. dishes and do laundry and clean up the house and clean the toilet. But like how could you commit to what brings you alive? That's really what I think we're being invited to. The best thing you could do is be alive. So yeah. find those things that spark that life in you. You got to commit all kinds of things. I think a helpful way that I think about my life is this idea is like if you were going to go on a road trip but you found out you weren't gonna get to the destination, how would that affect the kind of road trip you went on? Well, you would Mm -hmm. go on a road trip that was just enjoyable as what you thought the destination would be. I think that's how we can think about our lives is like, what journey to the destination makes you come most alive? That's where you should start. That's where you should start.
0: Mm. Thank you so much you're welcome I'm so grateful that is thanks so, so beautiful oh so good um, and I just want to say to you I think you're saying like you're in this season of going out two or three times a week or two or three times a month and I've got kids and I'm balancing it all I just want to say like hey you're doing the work and you are doing your kids a awesome service and an awesome gift to see them have a dad who's fully alive and
1: uh-huh. so thanks
0: thank you so much for giving the gift to the world and giving the gift to your kids too
1: you're welcome you're welcome thanks so much Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.